Good morning. My name is Abby Strauss, and I am a psychiatrist in Palm Beach County, Florida. I am here today with Brett Schillinger, who is a physician also here in Palm Beach County, and we are very concerned about the coronavirus in many aspects. One of the areas that we feel necessary to discuss or to at least talk about is the effect that this is having on physicians and the workload that they're having, the questions that are coming to them, and of course, their own safety. Dr. Schillinger has been very gracious in coming and talking talking to us about that. Good morning, sir. Thank you for being with us. Good morning. Glad to be here. Where are we insofar as physicians? Are they talking about it enough from an emotional point of view, or do you think perhaps they've just been too overworked, or maybe they're not even realizing that they too are human and are going to be exposed and or just burned out by this? Where should we begin with this topic? I think we have to all agree on the whole coronavirus situation taking an immense psychological toll on all of us. All of us being physicians, physicians' families, our patients, the whole world. Physicians were not exempt from this psychological toll. Do we have any information or sense that physicians are reaching out to take care of themselves as they continue to do this very important work? That's a very good question. I think we know for sure that they need to take care of themselves. You know, we always say we need to take care of ourselves so we can take care of our patients. There was a survey that was published on the CERMO site just uh, the other day. They took a look at the stress and anxiety levels that physicians are feeling. They uh, reported that four out of five doctors say that the COVID is causing patient anxiety and it's consuming their already busy days. Nearly half of the physicians said that they are experiencing personal anxiety to the extent that it's affecting their ability to handle the diagnostic and the discussions that they need to have on the outbreak in the practice. So we're not really sure if physicians are taking care of themselves the way they should be so that we can take care of our patients. That's critically important. And this patient anxiety, that they have to deal with this patient anxiety, and therefore it consumes the physician's already very, very busy days. Nearly half of the doctors report they're having personal anxiety issues tied in with their ability to handle and manage the outbreak both within their practice and within their personal community. They cite that 39% of physicians say that the anxiety from COVID is affecting themselves or their loved ones. And uh, 20% say that they have anxiety because they actually are fearful of catching something from their patients. We know there's some things going on. It's a very interesting point because, yes, psychiatry is different. We don't touch patients other than a handshake, which we're not doing right now. But almost every other physician touches the patient. The chance of some fluid transfer is there. You do surgical issues. You have to touch things at times. Obviously, the emergency room people are just inundated with people, and they have to touch people at times. We don't have enough of the protective gear. Is this making doctors hesitant, or is it making doctors angry? Again, any sense about this component that they are being asked to walk into a room that could be significantly dangerous for them? And as I say that, I must say, I am so proud of so many of the people in our medical community who are doing this. There was a story on television the other day about a guy, an ER doctor, he needed to intubate somebody. The person wasn't breathing. He needed to intubate. He did not have a mask. He did it anyway. I, I can't applaud enough. But this has got to be taking a toll on physicians as well. You touch, we don't. What's it like? One of the problems that applies not just to physicians, but to everyone because of the whole social distancing 
one of the latest words that has entered our vocabulary that wasn't here a few weeks ago, is that everybody is a potential source of something you may catch from anybody who's a patient, from anybody you run into in a grocery store. And I think it sets up a whole new level of disconnect between one human being and another. And certainly that extends very pragmatically in the office setting. And that's why so many of our colleagues have taken the proactive step to move into the telemedicine arena. But as you referenced, in a lot of situations, you need to actually have some contact with the patient, whether it's a surgical thing. Certainly in my specialty of uh, dermatology, it involves getting close and looking at things and sometimes actually feeling the texture of something. So this whole element is pretty much removed in the last couple of weeks. We've been keeping a social distance. We've been washing our hands a lot. We've been careful not to touch our faces and our eyes and our mouths. I think what this says is that as physicians, we face the same problems that everybody's facing. We're no different. It's just heightened to another level because we have an obligation through the profession that we decided to go into that we need to help people. And this becomes a whole another emotional and psychological dilemma. You've committed yourself, your obligations to reach out and help people, but then we don't want to contract something. How far is our ethical commitment and when do we protect ourselves and our families versus our patients? It's a very tough question. And I don't think everybody has come to that personal conclusion. Although, again, I've seen so many people walk into rooms with sick people, doctors and nurses and the paramedics and everybody else. God bless them. But it's got to leave a trail afterwards of emotional, what did I just do? Am I okay? Can I go home? You mentioned how doctors are doing what they have to do, but afraid that they may be carrying something home. Where do doctors go to talk about this? Are they holding it within themselves? Any sense of what the medical community, what's happening to help support folks? Do we have any data? I think we don't have very much data, if any data at this point. Hopefully through programs like what we're instituting here this morning, having this discussion, and through other vehicles that we uh, hope to set up through the Medical Society to share some of the uh, psychological burden that we'll be able to do some positive things. Historically, I think it's interesting to note that those of us who've been around for more than a few years, we were part of this whole situation back in the 1980s when AIDS first came onto the scene. And it was this whole same type of attitude. Basically, we want to help our patients, but are we going to catch something from them, a patient who may become ill or even die? And now, of course, that's repeating itself in the current coronavirus situation. In the specialty that I was in dermatology, we used to see quite a few of the initial presentations of the HIV and AIDS patients before anyone else was even seeing them. When they had the Kaposi's sarcoma, the purple bumps that were growing, you could see from across the room, they call you in for consults in the hospital and say, oh yes, yes, we know what this guy has even before we do the biopsies. But the interesting point there in terms of what, what you were referencing is remember that we were taught that you have to look at every patient as a potential source of infection. I think over the years, in many cases, we, we've gotten pretty lax. And now that we have the coronavirus on the scene, we are refocusing again and looking at every patient, if not every person you see in the grocery store, as a potential source of infection. And it reminds us as physicians, unlike psychiatry, where you can have social distancing and still be very, very effective as a clinician, reminds us how important it is to take those infection control measures. Back to the days of HIV when that first came out on the scene, we used to, on fairway, a lot of times 
we would profile patients in our minds, at least, and say, oh, this is a patient who maybe is someone who's carrying HIV virus, so I better put my gloves on. And that's when they used to teach us universal precautions, that you need to be careful with every patient. And even in this day and age now, we're so sensitized in the last couple of weeks to the possibility of contracting coronavirus. Forget there's a lot of other infectious diseases that we're not even thinking about protecting ourselves from. So true. Everybody who coughs does not have coronavirus. And that's what we have to keep in mind. One of the things that occurs to me for all physicians, anybody in the medical community, is not to pretend that these emotions aren't within you. That if you feel sad, if you feel scared, if something is touching. I saw something yesterday where a young lady went to show her grandfather that she had just gotten engaged but she had to show the ring through a window to her grandfather. It was about as touching as you can get. So for, for people in the, in, in the health community, don't be, uh, don't be a cowboy because we, we don't want you to burn out. It's hard enough right now. We've spent so much time talking about burnout in physicians and the like. Don't be a cowboy. Find somebody that you can talk to, you can get close enough to. <laughs> to talk. And it just, this constantly hits me in my mind. I, I see your, your face is generating other ideas. I, I think we have to take a step back and not only think about training ourselves, but when it comes back to the patient care, Yes. all specialties from primary care to wherever else we're going, we have to recognize the mental health component in taking care of our patients. An article I'd like to quote where they said, assuaging anxiety is just as critical as probing nasopharynxes. What, what would you say to that? Definitely a simple but powerful yes. We, we can't treat this purely mechanically. Pray tell we will find an intervention, a vaccine, an antiviral, whatever, soon enough, hopefully. The emotional aspect is as important, as pressing, and as potentially detrimental to a person's life as the mechanical swabbing of, of the nose and the throat. Absolutely. I don't know how to say yes enough. I agree with you. There's definitely certain recommendations that, that can be made. One of the things we always hear is how physical things, shortcuts to good mental health. I think this applies yes. in this scenario. I wonder, though, sometimes if it isn't an oversimplification. You know, we give advice like, oh, all you need to do is just take a walk. You need to do things outdoors. You should be doing more yoga, tai chi, meditation, breathing exercises, doing things like uh, noticing small pleasures, a, a budding leaf, clouds in the sky, just paying attention to the taste of a piece of toast. These are all good pieces of advice, but when people are highly anxious, be our patients, or as physicians, as we're moving in that direction, is this enough? You're correct again, in my opinion, is that if someone is ordinarily not doing those things in life, for a doctor to simply say that, the patient will say, oh, this doctor doesn't understand me. I've had so many people this week tell me that they don't know what they're going to do. Their card club closed, they can't go out to eat, they can't go to the gym. And this is their lives and not our interpretation of life. So it's, it's extremely difficult for these people to make this transition. And we work under the assumption that they have the ego capacities or other capacities to make that transition. They may not. This is difficult. Or the lady who comes in, the aide who comes in is not coming in now. Or they're not getting money because somebody is not working and they can't pay for all these things. It, it becomes what we used to we would call a, a psychosocial problem, and it's it's exploding. It's going to be here very soon, and we have to 
as much as we can defuse it. We may not be able to defuse it enough. So we, we have to stop making comments like, oh, it's under control when it really isn't, or saying things like, don't panic, take it easy, relax. I mean, how many times have over the years we said things like that to our patients? Just take it easy. Mm -hmm. And clearly at this point, that's not enough. Again, I agree with you. There's been some interesting uh, writings as to what it is underlying that's, that's upsetting people so much in this scenario, both physicians and patients alike. From what I've read, it's been broken down to a couple of categories. Fear, uncertainty, and loneliness. Yes. And how can we deal with, with each of those issues? You made a very interesting point before we started recording that the isolation is different because in previous crises, we would go home and sit with those that are our friends, our loved ones, and we could get that sort of touch which soothe a lot of the fears. That now is not part of the protocol. And that's a tremendous concept. And I can see that people have to learn perhaps to show their love or feel their connection to people rather than touching them just by having them present or talking. It's a major shift. It's almost like a paradigm shift in the way that human beings interact with each other. We're told that social distancing is vital. But we have to recognize it's it's not easy. As I said before, it kind of makes us think that everyone we come in contact with is, is a threat, threat to our well-being, even to our lives. And the protective measures that are imposed upon us lead to this feeling of loneliness. And attached to that, a sense of fear. I suspect that a lot of people are very disappointed that medicine doesn't have the tools to protect them. Not everybody. A lot of people understand that we're not at that level of total control over things, but this is a clear indication of what our limits are. And maybe I know some people come to me and they think we have magic. I wish we had magic, but we don't. And now they're really seeing it. And that can be a very depressing, disheartening and dangerous thing if they just see no future. I'm worried about the number of depressions and I'm worried about the number of suicides, frankly. I just don't know. I sometimes feel like we're giving a pep talk to people, but it's not taking away the real, the real fears. And part of it, and again, you suggested this as well, part of it is there's too much on television. You have to back off. No question. I think probably one of the most important pieces of advice is maybe watch the news for 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the night, and the rest of the day, just do something else emotionally to be so obsessed with every detail. I mean, they have charts now, real-time charts, where you can see exactly how many cases there are in the world by country, how many deaths, how many, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure everybody knows what we're talking about because they all have that on their computer, on their phone. They're tuning into this constantly. And it rises again to what was a person's life like before the crisis began? Were they news junkies? They don't know how not to be a news junkie. They don't know what to do with their time. Or I should say many of them probably do not. That was their focus. And so we are causing a very large paradigm shift in how people interact and how they deal with themselves for the day. You talked earlier about the suggestions, you know, take a course. You've got YouTube. Thank God we have YouTube. And it can be delightful to watch the history of 15th century something or other that, you know, might be of interest to you. But if they've never done this before, it's very hard to get them to shift like that. Then the other element, which has begun to be discussed in the psychiatric community, are people who have depressions, who have obsessive compulsive disorders, 
who have germophobias, psychoses. There have been times when people have thought that, and it's rare, it's extremely rare, but they've thought that they've been, it's where people think that their skin has infectious things, and it's a psychotic process. The point is, many people have psychiatric conditions that were marginally well-treated or controlled, or they built their life around because they didn't have to worry about social distancing. They didn't have to worry about everybody being a potential source of infection. And now, in the news, every 10 minutes, they're saying that. So these people, it's like fueling their fires of fears and apprehensions. And I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to calm all these folks down. Like you just said, we can't say, it'll go away. And on some level, all this activity in the environment may actually be validating what we have classified as psychotic reactions. Maybe these are uh, reasonable reactions in this scenario. Uh, that is an issue, and people need to be extremely careful not to misdiagnose people. Diagnosis is not just a casual little thing that you get from Google. It's a very intense process if it's done correctly. I think there's probably some positive things that we can take away from the whole scenario that we've been faced with. It's obviously not a positive situation, but there is perhaps a silver lining there. Generally speaking, many of us complain that we're short of time. Now we are literally hanging in it. But we can use this time for things like spending time, if not virtually, perhaps in the same room, if that's the way it's been set up. We can spend the time with family, friends, taking walks, the opportunity to connect with old friends through emails, letters, traditional mail. They're still delivering the mail. That's an important thing. Use this as an opportunity to open up a book that was hidden on a shelf that you didn't even know you had there. I was thinking this morning, maybe I should do that because I have a lot of books that I read the first couple of pages of and said, I'll get back to that someday. These are all good ideas for our patients and for ourselves as well. You know, We can't separate ourselves completely. We are human beings, just as much as our patients are. We can't forget that. There's advice, specific advice, for what we can do for our patients. As physicians, we're not specifically trained in dealing with emotional issues. There's still some very obvious, basic things that we can do. One of them, and this comes from actually the VA. They have a website with recommendations on physicians can do for their patients. Uh, one of the most important things is promoting a sense of safety. We can be recognized as a credible source of education, particularly concerning things with the coronavirus. We can take this time to properly educate patients on things such as the means of transmission, the importance of protective measures, the actual likelihood of an individual having severe illness and or possibly death. And as, as you said, there's so many mixed messages on the media from the television to Facebook. Oh my gosh, Facebook, some of the stories that come up there that look awfully real until you check out all the sources and you go, that wasn't exactly right. People are so confused. As physicians, we can be the authority that's trusted. And I, I think we need to recognize how important that role is that we play. Absolutely. And people need to be very careful, very leery of unsubstantiated anything. And to go to the medical society websites, the AMA website, the psychiatric websites, the real organizations, the big organizations, I see so many things popping up now in my emails that are ridiculous and scary, but they sound good. And some of them are true. That's the even scarier yes. part of it. So it's tricky. There's also some recommendations of things that we as physicians can do for ourselves. 
pragmatic point of view. One of the things talked about isolation and loneliness being a problem. Well, we should find the opportunity to work in partnerships, work in teams with our colleagues. We don't want to spend too much time alone without checking in with our colleagues. I think this has to do with the whole reality testing. Is this thing a dream? What the heck is going on here? We also need to have brief timeouts for stress management, perhaps longer timeouts to take care of our basic bodily needs, you know, changing our clothes, taking a shower. And I'm referring to some of the people in the trenches, such in the emergency room and the ICU situations. These are critically important physicians who need to take care of themselves. Make sure you're eating properly. Avoid round-the-clock shifts. The things that we were trained to do as medical students and residents in real life for something that we're not quite sure how long this is going to be continuing for, really critical that you take care of yourself. Agreed. And you need to focus your efforts on what is within your power. Avoid feeling, as a physician, something that many of us oftentimes feel. Avoid letting yourself feel that you're not doing enough. As we banter this back and forth, there obviously is so much more that could be brought to the table. This is a good starting point. Hopefully, we're overstating them and they won't be as necessary as apparently they look like they are going to be. But we will get through this and we just have to be mature and understanding and use the best information we have and be sensitive to that we are all human beings going through this. Dr. Schellinger, thank you so much for this discussion. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, Abby.